Hello and welcome to another episode of Healing with Nama. I'm Casey, aka Nama, and I'm so excited for our topic today. We are diving into generational trauma today, and I am really excited to have a guest here with me today to share her thoughts on the topic. Today I have Daniel Washington, a certified Reiki master teacher and retreat facilitator. She is the founder of Rogue Experiences, curating wellness, travel experiences, and retreats, and the Hello Well with Danielle podcast host. She is the author of Travel is My Therapy and the Redefine Your Mindset 21 Day Journal. Her mantra is put your mask on first, which stands as a reminder that making yourself a priority is the ultimate act of self-love. And I'm so happy to have you here today, Danielle. Um, welcome to you. I'm so grateful. You're actually the first guest that I've had on my show. So, yay. Yeah, get the papa cherry. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so you are actually the first guest I have on the show. And I'm just really excited um, to have met you and connected with you, another Black Reiki practitioner. Um, so do you want to tell us a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, no, I think you did an awesome job. I'm like, what about me? Um, I'm from California, so if you hear Northern California at that, if you hear the word hella, it's just a part of who I am. Um, I, I think my friends can make a drinking joke out of it because I use the word hella, hella times. Um, but I'm a Bay Area native. I, um, you know, I, for me, I feel like I've been creating what I'm calling this wellness revolution to help women of color you know, get out of survival mode and get out of, you know, it is what it is and, you know, break free to live the life that they want to live. And I think this topic is so important because ancestral trauma plays a lot, a large role in us living in quote unquote survival mode. So I'm just happy to be here. Yes. And I'm so excited to talk to you about it, too. Um, this is something that is very important to me, especially as an African-American woman. It's something that is a large part of our community, unfortunately. And I think it causes a lot of the issues and the traumas that we see in current generations is because past generations never, you know, dealt with the trauma that they dealt with. And so, you know, it just goes down the line, down the line. And, and you know, before you know it, somebody has to stop it. And for me, I'll talk about it a little bit later. That's been my role is to be the one to start a new trend. And so, so yeah, I will, I will talk about that a little bit, um, what that experience is like for me. And I think you brought up a good point because a huge part of it is acknowledging the trauma. And you think about it, we don't think we, we don't think we have not been taught that slavery was traumatic. We have been taught that it's something that happened, but it was never deemed as traumatic to us. But right. if you really think about it, and I saw this in the article and I thought it was just a great, you know, kind of picture, imagination, visualization of what occurred. It's like you're in Africa, you're chilling, you're having a great time, you're hanging out with your family in your community, your love, you're protected. And then someone snatches you. Yeah. And then you're snatched and then brought on this boat. Wow. And you, you know, barely survived that, but somehow you somehow you made it. Yeah. And then brought into this other place where you don't understand, you don't know, and you're beaten, you're tortured and all these different things. And then over time we're taught to learn how to survive in the system. And then you teach your children how to survive in the system and they teach their children and it is passed down and passed down, not just by actions and experiences, but inherited in our DNA. And that's the trauma that started that right. we aren't acknowledging. Yes, that's so true. You know, it just I always hear and my mom is a sociologist. She has a degree in sociology and she is like the activist and Anything to her is always about race. And she always says, you know, like, the system is not created for us. It wasn't designed for us. So whether that be the prison system, the school system, the system, the American system was not designed for us. And so we, we are constantly having to figure out how to navigate through a system that never was for us. You know, we weren't supposed to he exist here as people. We were supposed to be accessories. And mm -hmm. so to now we're like, you know, we're still trying to figure it out and things have gotten better, but they're, you know, they're nowhere near equal. And so um, that was my thought process behind just having this topic and really kind of digging deep into it. 
So um, before we really get into it, I wanted to just talk about what generational trauma is and just kind of give a brief um, definition of it that I found on goodtherapy.org. And goodtherapy.org describes um, generational trauma, which can also be called transgenerational trauma or intergenerational trauma, um, as trauma that gets passed down from those who directly experience an incident to subsequent generations. And so it's basically exactly what we're talking about, you know, um, the trauma, not all of the trauma that we experience is our own, um, but because it's unhealed, we experience our own trauma and it just, you know, the cycle continues. So I wanted to um, just kind of get your thoughts and pick your brain about how you feel on this and what your experience has been like. So my experience on this is that I, for most of my life, I didn't even think about it. It was just like, again, it was, it is what it is. I'm black, you know, we got to work twice as hard, you know, not to be deemed lazy. You know, I need to, you know, be careful about what I say and how I move because my life can be put in danger. They're just things that inherent, it's, it's, you're not aware of. It's just like, this is just the way life is. This is just the way that, you know, I was born and I can't change the reality of my life until I got older and I started learning a little bit more about ancestral trauma. And I'm still learning. I'm still a student of learning more about this and the psychology behind slavery. And so I do think that it has played a huge part in my life, but I'm just now discovering it, unfortunately. Right. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And for me, I think the the experience, like you said, has always been happening, but the actual understanding of it didn't happen for me until my mom started going to school and she started to dive deep into sociological perspectives and really start understanding from a sociological um, perspective what is actually happening to us because psychologically you understand you know what it does to your brain your body you know your behavior and all those different things but from a sociological standpoint it is embedded in our society to ensure that us as black people do not progress and so you think of something like the school to prison pipeline or you know the higher rates of incarceration for black and brown people in our country and impoverished redlining all those different things are purposefully done to keep us from progressing you know and so it's now for me it's like okay well how do I one raise awareness about it you know and make people aware of what's happening and then two how do I navigate through this world um, in a different way knowing that just because I'm deciding to do something different doesn't mean that everybody else around me is going to be doing it differently doesn't mean that the world is going to change but how do I navigate in this world that I've been put in and thrive and not just survive you know and that's hard I mean it goes back to the you know the acknowledgement of that this trauma existed and even looking at inherited trauma like it wasn't really a popular thing it didn't spike into like psychology fields and industries until they started looking and noticing children of the Holocaust were experiencing, you know, anxiety and nightmares and heightened alertness. And so it wasn't until then that this became a thing that people were like, oh, hmm, maybe we should look into this and, you know, trickle down. They thought, oh, yeah, slavery might have been traumatic, too. I mean, that's 300 years of being oppressed definitely makes a difference. I imagine, you know, the kids of Holocaust are, they were noticing enough to where they started studying it. You know, we have just begun the true study of the effects of slavery. And so there's still a lot for us to understand. And again, most of us are unknowingly dealing with ancestral trauma and have no clue that, you know, when we are repeating, you know, familiar habits or coping strategies or dealing with fears and anxiety or feeling stuck and don't know why, those are often signs of, you know, unhealthy energetic ancestral attachments. Right. Yeah. And in, in it, it's also on a spiritual level, too, because you and I are both Reiki practitioners. And so, of course, it has to spiritually, you know, affect you because our ancestors were slaves. Our ancestors were kings and queens. You know, all that trauma is also spiritually embedded in us. 
And so you also have to think about, you know, energetic clearing, not just um, therapy and all those different types of things. You have to think about what you're carrying inside of your body and in your DNA. You are, um, I don't want to say made from, but it is embedded in you. That trauma is kind of stuck. It can get stuck, I feel. And there's, it's not even I feel. There's the scientific knowledge of that. It's that it doesn't change your DNA sequence, but it, it, the, the science has shown that it changes the DNA structure. So trauma definitely does scientifically change your DNA. And so it, it's definitely something that we need to think about. Um, I know for me, I did an ayahuasca ceremony um, a couple years ago, and I'm in it. And ayahuasca is, I don't know how to explain it. Ayahuasca is a psychedelic that's utilized for spiritual healing. And, you know, most people go through different realms and whatever. Yeah. For me, I went through my my ancestors. Wow. I literally felt like my one ancestor would come after another. I felt like I was a checkout person. And one after another after another would come through my body. And I felt like I was physically being beat i felt like i physically was giving birth or being raped and having my children taken away i felt you know all the different things and imagine i'm going through this in one night and i had to you know and it was hard i'm like crying i have people they're supporting me but i had to recognize that yo this is one night a couple minutes of it happening and going away and happening going away but my ancestors went through years their entire life of going through these things. And one of the shamans that I work with, you know, told me that my one of my ancestors was a queen in Africa and she, you know, made a pact with dark magic. Whether you believe in any stuff or not, mm-hmm. this is what he said. So I'm just going with it. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, bet she was a queen. Fab, love that. Mm-hmm. Um, but she made a pact with the dark magic and she thought it would be better with, you know, for her people who were being snatched over and doing what slavery. And, you know, hindsight, 2020, it wasn't better. And so my family, quote unquote, was cursed. And it was a curse that, you know, the key said that you have to break. Your family has this, you know, generation after generation has dealt with this curse. And it reminds me of a quote. I think it's from James Baldwin in one of his books. He said, you know, could a, could a curse come down so many ages or do we live in the time or in the moment? I'm just like, hmm. Yeah, you know, I look at things in my family and there's certain patterns that I've seen. And I've seen, you know, once again, I became aware of ancestral trauma. I've seen patterns that I'm like, oh, that must be part of in our, our, our healing that we needed to heal. Mm-hmm. And we're still going through it. Like, it just, it sucks. I wish we didn't have this. And, you know, not everyone even is open to acknowledging and then, you know, working on it within the family. So how do you go about healing the entire family if not, if you're just one? Right. And I think that that's where I, that's where I am. I have never done, you know, that type of ceremony and it sounds really interesting. And I would be so interested to see what would happen, you know, if I were to participate in something like that, because I feel like I am what they call the generational curse breaker, you know, I, that, Oh, I hear you having an aha moment or something. <laughs> no, I just was agreeing with you. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, I feel like it stops with me, you know, and I've always been different. I've always been told I was a, an old soul. I was the different one. I felt like the black sheep of the family because I just didn't go along with what everybody else was doing. Um, the chaos and, you know, dysfunction that was going on around me. I just always felt uncomfortable around it and I just felt like you know this isn't right some of the things that are going on around me this isn't right this isn't how you're supposed to be and and how do you know that if you're you know five years old you know all you know is how your family is but for me it's always been you know it's something you know I just I don't fit in with this this isn't how um my life should be but coincidentally I still have those thought patterns in my head that go against that. And I have these ideals about marriage and relationships and um, communication that go along with what I've been raised in, obviously, because, you know, I was there. So, of course, it's going to be embedded in me. Um, So I find myself in that internal battle of wanting to change my innate um, habits and behaviors and thought patterns and beliefs 
that go along more so with who I feel I really am and kind of fighting with that internal self and that ego self. And the thing about that, and I totally resonate with everything you said, because I'm like, oh my God, that sounds like my lifestyle. (laughs) And I have to be the first one to admit that I was like, no, I ain't signing up for this. That seems like a lot of work. And, you know, the universe, you know, creator, God, whoever you want to call your, you know, higher source kept pushing me towards it. I'm Mm -hmm. like, okay, like, uh, no, I know you want me to do something and, you know, be bigger and greater and help the community and, you know, heal from these things. But for so many years, I can honestly say, I was like, nah, I was ducking and hiding and Mm self-sabotaging and, you know, moving away from it. And each year it was like more and more. It's like, nope, sis, this is you. This is your calling. Mm -hmm. And if I look in my, you know, astrology and a bunch of other things, it all kind of points all to this right but I didn't want to deal with it because I'm like this is a lot it is and it's very stressful you know I have been going through my what I feel is my second dark night of the soul in the last couple of months and I found myself asking like why why me like I didn't ask for this I didn't want to do this I just want to be a normal person you know why can't I just go along with dysfunction or you know why can't I just you know why does everything have to affect me so much I can't just um settle I have I cannot do that my physical being will not allow me to settle for certain things and it's like I got frustrated at a certain point because it's like I you know I believe in certain you know soul contracts and stuff like that and it's like well your soul signed up for this before you were born it was like well I I didn't have anything to do with that. You know, like that was my soul. I didn't know. Um, I'm just here, you know. And so I've I've had those conversations with, you know, my divine connection. And um, I believe in God and, you know, um, angels and all that kind of stuff. Um, and at a certain point, I just had to accept it and just say, like you said, you know, kind of this is you. This is how it's going to be. This is how it is. And the more you fight it, the harder it's going to be. It's already going to be difficult. But if you continue to push against it and resist it, it's going to be that much worse. And you're going to be unhappy while you're still continuing to do this work because it's happening whether you want to be a part of it or not. It's happening. Yep. So, yeah. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. So it's just like, you know, at a certain point, like, like you said, okay, sis, you either do it happily or you do it, you know, begrudgingly but you're gonna do it so and this work comes in stages like even whether you first acknowledging like okay I acknowledge that you know I most likely have some kind of I think there was a um there's a sociologist her name is Dr. Joy I'm gonna botch her last name I think it's DeGru I think DeGru yeah Yeah. post-traumatic slave syndrome Exactly. Right. And so and whether you acknowledge, okay, I have PTSD, which is post-traumatic slave syndrome. All right, do I have that? Okay, bad. Okay, I acknowledge I have it. Then what? It's like, and you go through stages of healing because we can't just do it in, <clears throat> excuse me, in one course or one ceremony. Like, okay, now I'm healed. You know, mm-hmm. I'm able to move forward. This is generation after generation after generations. I was I don't know who it was. It might have been Ayana Lepanza, who does like an amazing ancestral healing course as well. That talked about it. I think like seven generations. It lasted. That trauma lasts in your in your body. And so, slavery for me was three generations away. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I look at that. I'm like, that's only, I'm only like I'm the third generation away from slavery, and right. that's not far. Yeah. Yeah, that's like, you know, it's not as it's not as far back as people think, you know, I think because people feel so far removed from it and they may not have experienced it. It feels like it was, you know, this long, long time ago. And it's like your great, great, great could have been, you know, a slave or was probably a slave, you know, depending on how old you are. It really isn't that far away. And I think something that I just thought about for me, because you are also from California, I'm from Southern California, and I think for me anyway, my experience, because I didn't grow up, um, I grew up in a liberal place, you know, yeah. I didn't grow up around a lot of black people or, you know, my roots, my heritage. So when you come to somewhere that's in the South, you know, it's a totally different experience. And um, you can kind of understand why people behave the way that they do or, you know, have the belief systems that they do, because it is still very deeply embedded in certain places in the South. Um and I have that, you know, cognitive 
kind of awareness or even a fear because right now I'm in Texas, you know, so I'm kind of hyper aware sometimes of like, you know, you know, am I going to be racially profiled and, you know, like what's going to happen here, you know, because I'm from, you know, this liberal place and everybody, you know, pretty much gets along. If it's if it's racism, it's probably covert. You don't really experience it in the way that you do in the southern region um, of our states. And I think that it's kind of a wake up call for me to kind of think about like, this is still a part of your history, you know, it's not something that I really had to think about before. Um, but it's still very relevant. And so I think um, it's something that I want to explore more deeply and not fear, you know, going back to the South and where my grandmother is from in Alabama and really discovering my roots, my roots, my roots, you know, and kind of understanding it. You brought up such a good point because we talk about slavery but there was Jim Crow. We right. forget that that was just as traumatic. I mean, maybe not just as traumatic, but it was right. traumatic in its own way. Mm-hmm. And honey, that's one generation for most of us. Right. That's one generation away. And like, I remember my parents talk about when we were kids, you know, my from the South, my mom's from Texas, my dad's from Louisiana, even though my mom's family was originally from Louisiana, but she was born in Texas. And we drove, you know, from California to Texas or Louisiana, I don't know which one it was. But my parents said they remember there was a point when we stopped somewhere to get drinks or go to the bathroom. And I think I went into the white bathroom. I went somewhere. I did something. Me being me, I did something I wasn't supposed to do. (laughs) Whoops. My bad. Um, My parents were like, and they tell me the story. It'd be like, we had to haul, you know, behinds out of there quickly. And we left without even doing anything, getting food. We're like, we had to leave right away. And I'm like, wow, okay. That was a time when, you know, that's 70s, you know, I was born in the 70s. So that's still going on in the 70s. And I think about stories of my uncle who looked at a white woman the wrong way. And my grandmother immediately put him on a train because she knew that they were going to come to go kill him. And they did come. My dad still has the memory, the traumatic memory of people, white people coming in bashing into their door with flashlights in his face looking for my uncle but my dad was so much younger than my uncle they knew that was not him Mm -hmm. and so it's it's not so far removed yeah it really isn't and I've been blessed thank god to not have had to face you know that type of um overt racism thank god um but it that internalized racism obviously is just as bad you know just kind of knowing that there are people out there um, who do have those thoughts and those opinions. And then for me, I worked in, for most of my, you know, working years, worked in a in more affluent community in Southern California. And so it wasn't a lot of Black people. Many times I would be the only, you know, Black person in the workspace. So of course it's gonna, you know, come through my mind of like, oh my gosh, they're acting a little weird. Is it because I'm Black? Or, you know, like, you know, you always just have that thought. Um, of am I supposed to be here? And so, I mean, this topic, you can talk so much about it. Um, but I think that for me, it's just kind of understanding and knowing that it's not going to go away. Uh-huh. Um, and then, like I said, you know, in the beginning, how do I move forward knowing that I am the, the curse breaker? What, what, like how, what does that look like for me? And what does that look like for my family? You know, like you said, there are people in the family who just are never going to change. You know, the older generation in my family, they're not they're not trying to hear anything that I'm talking about. You know, it just kind of is what it is. So how does you know, what does that look like for me, I think, is where I am right now. And I think a lot of that looks like, you know, whether you're you know, if you have children, it's how we parent. Right. You know, if you think about how we, my parent, I could talk about how my parents parented, you know, it was like, you know, you're meant to be seen, not heard. Mm-hmm. And again, that goes back to the Jim Crow time frame that they grew up in. They were meant to be seen. They could be seen, but they sure couldn't be heard because right. that was a problem. Because God forbid they may say the wrong thing. They may touch the wrong thing. So that that mentality that my parents constantly told me, you're supposed to, you know, kids are supposed to be seen, not heard. That goes back to 
the ancestral trauma. Then you also go with, you know, my parents always taught us that, you know, you're supposed to work twice as hard, you know, just to be seen deemed as average and not be deemed as lazy because it goes back to that slavery trauma of if you're deemed lazy, you could be beaten and if not killed. Mm-hmm. And it was all part of the survival. And so, you know, how we go about parenting and parenting from a different place, a place from healing. And again, that goes back to that knowledge of acknowledging that trauma and that 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 pattern of mentality of we got to work harder. We got to, you know, not be seen and not being loud, you know, and when we reparent our children in a different way, that's a, one of the first steps in this healing. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. And I was going to tell you to feel free to use any, you know, language, colorful language, whatever, however you speak. This is an open space. (laughs) I heard you trying to censor yourself. I'm like, I already, um, you know, on the podcast, you know, just mark that it may be explicit because I want people to feel free to express themselves how they do. Um, Healing is not um, linear and it can't be contained into a little box. So however you express yourself, I want you to feel free to do that, um, on this show. Um, but I think you can speak because I do swear. Yes. I mean, (laughs) you you know what, go for it. I don't personally, unless I'm really upset. My family knows if I start cursing, then, you know, somebody's made me really upset. Um, but I know that other people do. So, you know, I'm not immune to it at all. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but what you said about, you know, parenting and stuff, I was going to ask you that question, too, of how does that, um, you know, change the way or the way that you were brought up and, you know, the way that your family dealt with or did not deal with trauma um, or, you know, just communication affect the way that you relate to people in friendships and relationships Um I don't know if you're a mother, but like, you know, parenting, I don't have any kids, but I do have, you know, opinions on that. But I was curious about your thoughts. So I don't have kids, but you would think that I had three. My niece and nephews pretty much feel like my own kids. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I do feel like I have played a, you know, a decent role in their parenting. But again, they're now 22, 19 and 17. I wasn't thinking about this trauma back when they were kids. I wish it was. Mm -hmm. I wasn't thinking about, you know, different ways of telling them different things. Like now I I show up in a different space and, you know, kind of give them my perspective from where I am currently. But I wish it was that way before. But then I think about my, you know, but think about my father. My father was emotionally unavailable. And that really hurt me as a child. And it still hurt me as an adult until I started doing this work. And I start realizing that, you know, when you were taught and lived in these, you know, from generation to generation to focus on being strong and just moving forward, he wasn't given the tools to express and manage his emotions. And a lot of people, not even your emotions, they're not given the tools to manage their stress. And I look at my mother and that's a huge thing that she was not given. And that's part of this ancestral trauma. And so for me, the way it's helped me in seeing how my parents parented me and how I try to reparent my niece and nephews is by having compassion of recognizing that my parents did the best that they could with what they had. Right. And then the saying that I did with my niece and nephews, I did the best that I could with the knowledge I had. Right. And when you know better, you can now choose to do better. Right. Yeah. When you're talking, I'm like, we have so many similarities. I also have um, two nieces and a nephew. I also am their second mother. Like, I joke all the time. Like, those are my kids. And I have been with them, all all three of them, since the day they were born. I saw two of them being born. And, like, those are my kids. And like you said, I have my niece. My oldest is 21. My nephew is about to turn 19 in February. And then the youngest one is two. So I feel like I've given, you know, kind of been given a second chance with the two-year-old to kind of do something different. Because when my niece and nephew were born, I was 10 and 12 years old. I didn't know, you know, any of this stuff. I had no knowledge of trying to do anything better. And I really didn't have any authority, you know, at 10 years old, 12 years old. So, you know, unfortunately, they kind of got the short end of the stick, you know. And now they are kind of watching me transform and change into this person and kind of understanding why I'm doing it and they like it you know they find it interesting and stuff but as far as um 
raising them up in it, you know, that kind of, that ship is sailed. And so I try with my niece, my youngest niece, to be mindful about how I treat her and how I quote unquote parent her, because I'm not her parent, but I am her third parent. And, you know, how I talk to her and the things that I say, and why am I reacting this way? Why am I talking to her like that? Is it just because that's how I was trained to do? Or is it because um, it's what she actually needs, you know? So just being more mindful of what she needs, because I don't have children of my own. I feel like I've been a parent since I was 10 years old. Um, but I want her experience, at least of me, to be different. And I want her to see somebody doing something different um, than what was modeled, you know, around her, you know, not saying that anybody's doing anything, you know, terrible, but it's just a different experience being the only person that's really deeply into spirituality and healing and understanding. Um, I want her to see what that looks like so that she has an alternative when she gets older and has that choice, you know. And it's it's the awareness that you're giving them the awareness through your actions. And that's the first, that's important. They need to see that. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's just the main thing is like, you know, even though our whole life has been this way and this is what we've seen, we don't have to stay in that. We always have the chance and the opportunity to pivot and make a different choice. And... For me, that catalyst was, I don't know if you believe in it or not, but meeting my twin flame, that changed the whole game for me. You know, that was a catalyst for my entire spiritual journey and has kind of led me to where I am today. Obviously, I did all the work, but, you know, just having that encounter kind of turned my life upside down in a way where I could not continue doing what I had been doing before. So I had to kind of think about all these different things and um, kind of change the game, I guess, like you said. Yeah, and I, I haven't dived deep into the twin frame flame um, situation. Like, I know of it, but I haven't, like, gone through or really researched and understood it to the point where I'm like, oh, what is this? And let's do more. Mm -hmm. I think for me, a lot of it has been through kind of reconnecting with my ancestors and that came through many different ways I feel like I started part of my spiritual journey and not really realizing I was starting it in Cuba you know I take you know to telling you that I take these women on trips around the world mm -hmm. and one of the places I would constantly go was Cuba and within going to Cuba I was introduced more intimately into you know the the world of Santeria and learning about that and learning about the you know traditions and customs and when wanting to learn who my Arishas were I'm like oh, I want to know who's my parents um I was working with a Babala which is like a priest and he was like no we can't find you we can't tell you because you need to know, learn your roots and I'm like wow. well, what does that mean hmm. I mean my friend who was Filipino got her people I'm like well, why can't I know my roots right. I'm like I'm like why couldn't why couldn't I know I'm like I'm like I'm more black than she is <laughs> um not saying that that mattered right but it, it yeah. was what it was in my mind I was like whoa what, mm -hmm. you know what's this like I you know I want to know I want to know and it led me on a journey to understand what did this man speaking Spanish to me who didn't speak English, what did he mean by I need to know my roots? And so, you know, I go to Africa and, you know, I, you know, speak to African healer there and I didn't get much information there. I got some stuff, but not much. And, you know, I talked to different, you know, a person in IFA, you know, I've done other research and, and I've learned through all these different things that, I needed to connect with my ancestors and through, you know, Akashic readings and through, you know, Ifa reading and through, you know, other divination and people who are intuitive. It's like they all keep saying, dude, your ancestors are trying to speak to you. Yeah. And you are just ignoring every single thing and every single situation. And it was, I think, really in Bali, which I was chilling, um, <laughs> trying to... Um, heal from you know I had six people die in one year oh my gosh um, and two of them were people who were the people who I deemed loved me the most and that was really hard and I was caregiving for them on, on top of that right. and so wow. they both died um and I had three friends who didn't know each other all pretty much say the same thing it's like sis you're being hella dismissive you're being aggressive you're grieving and I'm like the first two I'm like you're on crack yeah. <laughs> 
I'm like, you're just being overly sensitive. Get over yourself. And then the third person, who was a close friend, and I, you know, who knew me, and he was nervous when he was trying to talk to me. When he said the exact same thing, I was just like, hmm, I had to deal with this. And so I, you know, ghosted the world and went to Bali. Because what else does someone do in those moments? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but in that moment in Bali, I'm in a yoga class mad chilling like and I didn't even really like yoga until I met like this Balinese healer and I was like let's try this yoga thing again and I'm in a kundalini class just rolling my neck and then I get this wave of energy and this color purple this rolls over me and I just start ugly crying in a yoga class in Bali and I'm and I just can feel my cousin who was the one who just passed away from cancer and I'm like yo okay, let's try this again. And I'm like, when I allowed myself to be open to feeling and the energy of my ancestor, communing with them, that's when I felt like I started doing this work and really kind of reconnecting with, okay, this is not just about me, but there's some stuff in the past that I need to heal. There's some stuff in the past that I need to know so I can heal, not just for my my ancestors or my you know the future generations before me personally right now right here yeah that's so that is so interesting and so powerful I've always kind of had those dreams of you know just taking off and going to Bali and meeting this person and that person you know I've always kind of I read uh, Eat Pray Love and I just kind of was like oh I would love to do that you know it just kind of seemed far off Um, eventually I would like to do that kind of stuff. But I think that what you said is so powerful, you know, just being open and allowing changes so much. And I'm learning that now is like, you have to stop stopping yourself. Like you are the one that keeps getting in your own way by allowing other people to get in your way. Stop, you know, allowing what other people say to stop you from exploring this or that or feeling these feelings because you feel like it's not right or it's crazy or it sounds you know weird or whatever like no allow yourself to feel that you're feeling it for a reason and and part of it is your intuition and the only way that you're going to really truly learn to understand yourself and to listen to your intuition and your ancestors is to stop listening to to all the outside noise and Take a minute to allow yourself to feel what you're feeling and then kind of, you know, decipher through it and see, you know, maybe what's ego and what isn't and all that kind of different stuff. But I just kind of had that realization in the last week or two of like, you have been stopping so many different things in your life because you feel like you should do it this way or you should do it that way or, you know, you don't know how to do it so or even um, because I haven't seen a lot of healthy relating, communicating relationships, thinking that relationships have to look a certain way. There has to be a point of contention, you know, there has to be some angst, there has to be a little bit of drama. And even though I don't necessarily want it, um, subconsciously, I feel like I was thinking that it had to happen because that's how you that's how you relate. That's how you have relationships. And so I've just been having so many intuitive downloads in the last week or two, understanding that how that trauma has affected me and has stopped me from being who I'm supposed to be. And it's just been so like mind blowing, um, so much information coming through. And I'm like, it's because I am being open to listening to it and not pushing it away. Like you said, not dismissing it and feeling those feelings. And I love the fact that you are recognizing it as trauma because when you're talking about like, oh, you know, I'd love to have that, you know, eat, pray, love moment. But, you know, who am I to do that? You know, I come from this, you know, that's not a thing. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like immediately again where I am now. I'm like, mm, that's, you know, that's a, the unhealthy pattern of thinking. That's trauma. Right. That's ancestral trauma yes. saying that, oh, you know, relationships should, quote unquote, be hard. That's ancestral trauma. That's an unhealthy pattern and coping mechanism that we've been taught from generation to generation generation um for me you know i moved to italy 
And I'm, I didn't know anyone, not anyone that was of African descent who just jumped in and was like, I'm going to move in another country. Yeah. Um, I don't know why the British accent comes up every blue moon, but it does. <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know, I, my parents were like, no, 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 that's crazy. You're almost 30. You need to be getting married. You should be focusing on your career. And they did what I call the shoulds. I'm like, they should it all over me. Mm-hmm. You know, you should do this. You should do that. And I'm like, who, who's the society? Who's the panel that's in control of the should? Like, who are the judges? Who's the council? Because I want to know who are these people that we are listening to that are governing how we think and how we move. Right. Yeah. You know, that's that makes a lot of sense, too, you know. And I um, also have been abroad, you know. I was a, an exchange student for a few months in England. So I got to, you know, that was something else. You know, that was another thing where I did something that nobody had done before. You know, nobody had ever just gone off and, you know, left to a different country and, and did this thing. And I was terrified, you know. And for me, I'm kind of like the person who... You know, I kind of plan things out. I know what I'm doing, but I don't really understand the magnitude until I get into it. And so when I get to England, you know, I'm like, dang, I'm alone. Like, I'm I'm like far away from my family, you know, and it's just like there was one of those things where it was like I had to take the plunge. It's part of breaking that generational curse. You have to I have to be the first to do a lot of different things, you know to travel in Europe on my own and I've been to Italy and I went by myself and just all of these different things and you kind of have to you almost become the role model for the older generation in a way Um, but it's because it's like I I want to be fearless and I don't want to have that I don't want to fear to stop me from doing certain things and trying things and um, I think that's part of being that curse breaker you know or that new generation maker whatever you want to call it I can't really think of the term but yeah I agree with all that I mean the thing is we don't really pay attention to how much that this these ancestral patterns influence our lives it influences our relationships influences our relationship with money with to people influences influences how you know our how we work and what we do influences our sleeping eating patterns you know it's not a coincidence that african americans have you know high blood pressure and you know diabetes and all these other things that are, you know related to stress and all these other things and that all ties back into this ancestral patterns that are mostly unhealthy yeah definitely and a theme for me has been therapy I'm not sure if you ever, you know, had experiences with therapy, but for me, that is, that has played a key role in me having a lot of these revelations. And it's something that I have leaned on in a lot of times in my life um, because it's made such a difference, you know, to have somebody that doesn't know you can give you this um, perspective that you never thought of, you know, and um, bring things to your attention that people who are in your daily life can't necessarily give you you know and so it's kind of stigmatized especially in our community and you know in my family we don't really we don't tell people our problems you know what happens in the house stays in the house kind of thing and I don't want to tell this stranger about my business but at the end of the day it's like at a certain point you for me I can't heal myself in certain aspects I can do as much as I can do but you always kind of need somebody you kind of need a helping hand in some aspects so for me having therapy and being open to the experience has helped me heal in a lot of um really hard times in my life you know and um I don't know it's just something that I'm very grateful for and I've kind of started um my mom you know kind of started doing that too but nobody's been as consistent as me so it's another thing where I'm kind of forging the path on my own Um, And what's your experience like with that? Well, you know, I'm not shocked that there's a stigmatism around therapy in the, you know, African-American community, because, again, we were taught to survive. Right. And that survival, we were taught that we need to just act strong, whether we're strong or not. Mm -hmm. We need to act strong. And so, yeah, it's not shocking. And again, it's part of this, you know, ancestral trauma that we're dealing with. I hella love therapy. Therapy has gotten me through so much in my life. And like 
the funny thing is, the reason I went to therapy, the first, well, my parents sent me to therapy as a child because they thought I was the problem child. I'm like, <laughs> I think it's really you two hmm. <laughs> that need therapy, hmm. but whatever. Um, that really didn't work because I was sitting there lying. I was like, oh, let's just make up stuff. Um, but like when I went to therapy for the first time for real, it's because I was attacked. I was living in D.C. and I had someone who tried to attack me on the streets or actually in my apartment building. And I was having post-traumatic stress syndrome. Oh, my God. And, you know, from that led to me dealing with, you know, blocking out being molested as a child. Mm-hmm. Me, you know, dealing with things in my childhood. And throughout the years, you know, therapy has definitely, I've gone in and out of it. And it's been helpful. So I'm a strong believer in therapy. But I also think, you know, outside of therapy, that just that internal investigation And I think a lot of that personal development work has been a huge part of me getting to where I am today. Like therapy has been nice and helpful, but I think of that internal investigation of like, okay, you know, one, the acknowledgement that I am here, like, you know, that map in the malls, like you are here. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm here. How did I get here? Why am I here? Do I like being here? You know, what got me here? What, where do I want to be? And, you know, investigating all the different things and, you know, and, and the ancestral trauma is a part of one of those things to investigate has been a huge part in my healing. Yeah. Yeah. That's so amazing. You know, I kind of, I have the same, you know, thought pattern of when I first kind of was thrown into this spiritual experience of like, okay, I had to shed everything that I thought I believed at that time and start from scratch and be like, okay, so, you know, like with religion, I'm like, you know, for me, black people are Christians. That's just what we do. We believe in Jesus. We go to church and I didn't grow up in the church, you know, but I was raised to believe in God. You know, I had those beliefs and those thought patterns and, you know, that kind of just rote thinking. But at a certain point in my life, I'm like, well, why? I was, I felt like I was a two-year-old. Why? Why? why you know why why I don't know why you know I I wasn't raised in the church you know I didn't um grow up in a Christian household in that way you know but I did have that belief and I I always had that connection and so at a certain point it was like well am I Christian you know am I religious what do I really believe you know and I had to take time to understand what that even meant what it looked like for me and you know go to different church services with different people you know catholic and um get a bible for the first time and actually read through it and try to get an understanding of what you know all these references that i'm making and stuff what does that actually mean to me you know am i just kind of parroting it because that's what i've been told yes that's what i'm doing so now what is it that i actually believe and how do i feel about this topic of religion and spirituality and What does it look like for me? And, you know, finally was able to, after four or five years, nail it down and understanding and then not only nail down an understanding of how I view it, but be comfortable with sharing that with other people um, without the fear of being judged. Um, Because I feel like especially in our community, um, there is a lot of shame if you are not religious or you say you believe in anything other than Jesus or you know you're a spiritual person there can be stigma around that so and I think that also ties into you know the the generational trauma and you know you can go really deeply into religion and stuff but um that was something that too was a another layer that I needed to shed and really think about yeah and I mean she's reason why I created the hello well with Danielle platform was to, you know, get out of that survival mode and get out of that and start questioning why. Because we're always, especially for women of color, we're taught like, you know, it just is what it is. You know, you got to be strong. You have to be, you know, powerful. And, you you know, you can't show emotion. You can't be weak. You need to be the strongest one in the room. And I just want to redefine 
what that means. And, you know, when I talk about, you know, putting on your oxygen mask on first, like I, I use the acronym of AIR, which means, you know, awareness, investigation and redefining is like, you got to figure out first, where am I? And that asking the why that you were talking about asking the why, why, why do I have to be this way? Why do I have to think this way? Why should I quote unquote, live my way, my life this way? Why should I not put myself first or take a moment to pause and celebrate the pause? And that's that investigation that's, you know, the eye in the air. And then thirdly, redefining your mindset. And that's what we're both doing is redefining how we show up, but we're also bringing awareness to help other people redefine how they show up and shift and start this breaking of these curses and, you know, really creating what I'm calling this wellness revolution, because it's time for us to get out and thrive and heal. Yeah, that word right there. And that's something that I repeat all the time to myself. I want to thrive and not just survive. And I think that that has been the mantra, especially for the black, you know, black woman, because for so long, there was a lot of single mothers or, you know, the the high imprisonment rate took the fathers away or, you know, all those different things. So the black woman is like the foundation. And for my grandmother, she never talked about her childhood. She never talked about her trauma. She, until the day she died, none of her kids, you know, her grandkids, we don't really know that much about her. We don't know about her story or who she was before she was mom and granny, you know? And so it was because at a certain point she became a mother and she was the older sister and then, you know, she had to be the one to take care of everything. And so it was survival mode. She didn't have time to feel emotions and, you know, go to therapy and feel her feelings. It was like, I got to put food on the table for these kids. I got to make it out of Alabama. I got to make it in California. Like I have to get a job. And so, you know, that emotional kind of cutoff passed down to my mom and, um, my dad is the same way, you know, there is no real emotion because there was no time for the parents to show emotion. And so the kids just don't have that connection, which was tough for me because I am very emotional. So to have two parents who are not very connected with their emotion, um, was traumatic, you know, in and of itself, quote unquote. Um, but you know, that survival mode, um, I think is where I try to get myself out of because it's like I don't have to necessarily do that you know I'm a little bit different I didn't have children at a young age and I'm not married and I don't have to go through life in survival mode you know I can enjoy life you know I can stop and look around and that's the beauty of being where we are you know um and all the struggles that they did go through um but I think it's something that I constantly need to remind myself of and the older generation too, you know, when they're like, hey, why are you doing like that? Why are you, you know, you should be doing this, 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 and this. It's like, I actually don't have to do it like that, you know? And I love that you were talking about that because I think about, you know, our generation, generations before, and, you know, the, and sadly what we've been passing down is, you know, I'm, I have to be a strong black woman. I have to be a strong black woman. Like, then we pride ourselves on being a strong black woman. And being a strong black woman, and, and, and stereotypically what we consider being a strong black woman is sacrificing yourself for others, you know, right. going the strong mile, taking on all these responsibilities by yourself because yes. dun, da, 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 I'm a strong black woman. Mm-hmm. And the reality of it all, we're doing this to, you know, celebrate our ancestors because they were strong black women. But what we're neglecting to remember and to acknowledge is they didn't have a choice. Right. They didn't have a choice to be like, mm, you know, I'm not feeling well. I'm like, you know, PMSing today, so right. I'm going to pass yeah. on working in the field today or mm-hmm. cooking for massive or, you know, being raped today because I just don't feel like it. No, we didn't have that compassion. They didn't yeah. have, it. They didn't have the, the, the ability to say, I'm at capacity and say no. And so they were forced into being the strong Black woman. And I have to believe uh, many of our ancestors are rolling around in graves and yelling at us, but like, yo, I did not go through this for you to now do it when you have a choice. Right. Yes. That's such a good point. Yes. That makes a whole lot of sense. Like you just kind of like sparked my brain because I always love when I, you know, you think about something, but to think about it in a different way is always like my favorite thing, you know, to have that like, wow, you know, they're they might be, you know, upset. It's like once for me, what I believe is, you know, once they passed on, 
they don't have the troubles of the world anymore, you know? And so they don't have to live that way. So to watch us still continue to struggle in certain ways when we don't have to, it's like, that's not why we went through this. You know, we kind of opened the door for you to do better. And I think that we kind of miss that sometimes. Um, and just kind of carrying it on, carrying it on because that's just what we do. Um, and yeah, wow, that was really, that was really, really great. Thank you for that. No, and it's, you know, and we're talking about healing from ancestral trauma and, you know, healing from slavery, healing from Jim Crow. And as a culture of, you know, African-Americans, that's just one side of the coin. We weren't the only players in the situation. You know, our counterparts, you know, the people who were, you know, the whites and the ones in control at the time, they have their own healing to do for us to all heal as, you know, a nation and as a group because a lot of things that are systematically in place here in America is because they're dealing from their own trauma of slavery and Jim Crow of, oh, we have to hold on to what's ours. You know, right. we need to withhold information. So it's not just one-sided. We're, that's just one side of the coin. And we, we all have to do the work, all of us, Yeah. for that true healing to occur. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I have hope that maybe one day it will happen. It's it's a slow process, let me tell you. Um, there, I think that it just kind of starts with just one person doing their part. And, you know, people like you and I getting together and having these types of conversations and opening up about our experiences so that it makes it more comfortable for the next person to feel like they're not the only ones and feel like there's an alternative to what they've been doing or what they've seen. So I think this is a really important um, conversation that we're having and um, a dialogue that needs to continue. I agree. I mean, it's just like Reiki, you know, you look at Reiki, you know, us being, you know, black Reiki practitioners, it's like, oh, what is this Reiki thing? Or you know, what is acupuncture? The more people who learn about it, the more it becomes popular and more aware, and it's a way of healing. I think the more people who come, you know, aware of ancestral trauma and how it's affecting their lives and not just their ancestors' lives and the lives of their children, I think the healing will occur. Yeah. And I think um, the last thing, the last point that I wanted to make, too, is just I think that by raising awareness, it kind of like mental health takes the stigma. It kind of destigmatizes it, you know, Um, and it's not this mystical, you know, Reiki is like, ooh, what are you doing? You know, black magic or what is this energy thing? You know, that's, you know, some of my experience, you know, from old school perspectives if it's not, you know, the Bible and church, it's weird and, you know, it's bad and wrong. And it's like, no, this is just another form of healing. And it's it's so helpful. So that open-mindedness, I think, comes from people like me no longer being scared of sharing that I do things in an alternative way. Yeah. And I appreciate you for having this conversation because I do feel like it's one step. And it's a step that may spark someone else and take another step. So it's it's, it's needed. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me today and having this conversation with me, Danielle. I really appreciate you. My very, very first guest on my show. I'm so excited. I'm so honored to be here. And <laughs> I just appreciate you for even thinking about me um, and just, you know, having this conversation. Yeah. You know, and I, I send you love and healing energy for your journey. Thank you so much. And um, where can people find you um, on social media, on the Internet? How can people get in contact with you? Sure. So I am I I am one of those people who dodges social media to a large <laughs> degree. I won't lie. I'm like, ooh, social media. I'm like, ooh, let's detox from it because it's a lot because there's a lot yeah. of shitting going on in social media. But you can typically find me on Hello Well with Danielle. So I'm Hello with Danielle on Facebook, I'm Hello Well with Danielle on Instagram and on Twitter. I'm Hello Well Danny because my name is too long. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's usually the, the way to find me. And then I do a monthly, you know, healing session um, that you can find on my website, which is Hello Well with Danielle. And then I also have rogue experiences, but you can get rogue experiences from Hello Well with Danielle. All right. Hello Well with Danielle. And yes, her Reiki experiences are amazing. That's actually how we met. She found me on Instagram. And invited me to her Reiki share. 
and I, I really enjoyed it. I loved it. So I was like, this is somebody that I really need to get to know and stay connected with. So I really appreciate you, Danielle. I hope you have a beautiful day. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and your time with me. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for joining me and Danielle on this episode of Healing with Nama. Don't forget you can find me on Instagram at Healing with Nama. You can also find uh, my main Instagram page, I just want to be underscore inspirational. That's A-I-J-U-S-W-A-N-N-A-B-E underscore inspirational. That's also on Instagram. Um, and you can find all ways to connect me on there. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe, follow, all that good stuff for this podcast. And you can find it on iHeartRadio, Spotify, or anywhere where you find your podcast. And I will see you all next time.